I'm speaking to you by video, but you probably noticed that. Uh, today, which is Thursday, I got a phone call right before lunch uh, informing me that I have been exposed to COVID, and so I am quarantining. And um, believe me, I'd much rather be with you, but uh, I think this is the safest thing to do for now. I should, Lord willing, I should be back with you next Sunday on 328, um, as long as I don't get sick. So I, I hope to be with you next Sunday on March 28th for Palm Sunday. Let me pray, uh, and then we'll jump in. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that you would stand in front of me while I preach, and Lord, that you would talk over me while I talk. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, how are your motivation levels faring? Uh, I, I think I can say that it is tough to maintain a solid motivation level during COVID. I think all of us have experienced motivation slumps because of stuff like this, where they really disrupt our plans. And we can get into a what's-the-point mindset and really just kind of suffer from not just not having it, any motivation to do stuff because it can be disrupted like this morning is being disrupted. So what I hope to do this morning is to really fill your motivation tank with resurrection hope. I hope to really fill you with courage and motivation based on the resurrection and I hope this, what this does is we're motivated by the resurrection is I hope it helps us think about the things that we think about all day long. So it, the, the word I'll use for that later on is wakefulness, that we're, we wake up to what we're thinking about and we think about what we're thinking about. I also hope to help you as we are fueled by resurrection hope, I hope to create in you uh, increased desire to know the Lord through his word. So I hope to fill your tank through the, God's word with resurrection hope today. So here's what you're going to see as we walk through this first section. Of course, this is all on the resurrection. Here's what you're going to see. You're going to see how because we are in Christ... Paul makes the argument that what happened to Jesus and what happened to Jesus' body will happen to our bodies because we're in Christ, because we're united with Christ. So whatever happened to Jesus will happen to us. And he'll also go the other way and say, if it won't happen for us, it also won't happen for Jesus. So the word he'll use for this is like first fruits and uh, I have this up here. This is my um, planter that I grow green beans in. It's a raised bed. So you, you put the dirt in here and you plant the seeds and you pour water in here. And it's something that even a pastor can do. You know, and, and the green beans come up and the, you, get, you get your first couple green beans and that tells you what the rest of the green beans are going to be like. And those would be the first fruits. So what happened to Jesus, he went first, that will happen to us. And this is what Paul is, this is a point he's making here. If it happens to Jesus, it will happen to us. If it didn't happen to us, it won't happen 
to Jesus. So, so here we go. This is what he's saying. If in, if, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, that Christ is, he went first. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Because we are connected. What happened to Jesus will happen to us. Well, if it doesn't happen to us, it didn't happen for Jesus because we're connected. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. He's saying, think about what you're saying. As the Corinthians were losing motivation for the Christian life because they were doubting the resurrection. This is why he starts out in 1 Corinthians 15 saying, I'm afraid that some of you are, may have believed in vain. I'm afraid you're losing your faith. I'm afraid you're losing motivation for the Christian life. And it's why he ends the chapter with, and you need to know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain because, because they're losing motivation for the Christian life because they're doubting the resurrection. And so he's coming back to, Jesus really did rise from the dead. And so you really will rise from the dead. And that gives us motivation to live now. But there's, if you're saying that's not true, then you just need to face the consequences of that, that none of this is true. So he says that not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Like, just see what you're saying. See the consequences of what you're saying when you're saying there's no resurrection. We lose all motivation because it's all in vain if there's no resurrection. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. Because what happens to Jesus will happen to us. And if it's not going to happen for us, it didn't happen for Jesus because we are united with Christ. We are in Christ. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Are you catching your theme here? How he's saying that again and again. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Now how can that be? Well, think of, think of a family where there's several sons and the younger sons are extremely naughty. And the father says, that's it. I'm going to have to punish you. But the oldest son steps up and says, I will take the punishment for their sins. And so the father says, okay, you could take the punishment for their sins. And that is going down into the basement and being grounded in a tomb-like room for three days. And so the son, the oldest son, goes down into the basement and goes down into the tomb-like room. And then the, old, the younger brothers are nervous about whether or not this is really going to work. Will, will the older brother really be able to pay for their sins? Will he really be able to do that? And then on the morning of the third day, the father calls down. It worked. Come on up. And there's the... All of a sudden emerges and everyone is happy that everyone knows that the payment worked for their sins. This is the idea that Jesus' resurrection proves that Jesus' payment for our sins was enough. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, if Jesus is still in the tomb, 
Why do you think your sins are paid for? Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, if Jesus is not raised and none of us are raised, everyone is just simply dead. He's saying this is why not believing in the resurrection kills our motivation. For if in Christ we have hope for this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied because we are leveraging our entire lives in resurrection hope. But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits, I'm sorry, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So this is what he's saying. You can have courage for this life. You can have strength for this life because Jesus went first. He was raised bodily first. He went first and you're next. And you can take that to the bank and live in confidence and courage because you have resurrection hope. Paul is saying this will give us motivation or fuel for the Christian life. Okay, now he's going to talk about something different. Now he's going to talk about how Jesus' resurrection affects us. What he's just been talking about is helping them face the consequences of denying the resurrection. Like, here's what that means. This is why that kills motivation. Now he's going to talk about how the motivation is glorious and helps us and fuels us with hope. All right? And he's going to talk about that from, he's going to contrast Adam and Christ. Okay? So first he's going to talk about Adam. Now you remember Adam, I'm not talking about, I don't know, somebody you know by the name of Adam. I'm thinking about the first man named Adam. In Genesis, early in Genesis, when God creates Adam and names him Adam. I'm going all the way back there. Remember, Adam sinned and brought sin into the world. And when he did that, God cursed the world. So remember we talked about in Lamentations why we suffer. Well, first we suffer because the world is cursed. The world is broken. And so here I am on Thursday afternoon preaching to uh, John Schultz and Brendan up in the booth because the world is broken. It's just, it's just a frustrated, broken place. We also suffer not just because of the curse, but also because of other people's sin. A lot of you suffer because people have sinned against you. We also suffer because of our own sin. You know, we suffer for what we've done. The, 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 we, we reap the fruit of what we've sown. We, we, we suffer because of what we've done as well. And so we're going to talk about Adam and how Adam brought death into the world with sin. He's also going to talk about Christ. And this fuels resurrection hope and how Christ came to undo all the damage that sin has done. Okay, so listen as we read. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection 
of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, so, okay, you already know that term. Christ went first, he was raised first, you'll be raised just just like him, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, when Jesus returns to make all things new, those who belong to Christ, and we will be reunited with our transformed bodies. So this is how to think about this section and the next section. We're going to think about now that as Jesus coming, We're going to think about how he will restore the proper order of things. He really will make all things new. So there's no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more mourning. He will make all things new when he returns. This is what he'll write about and how this fuels our hope that Things will be right one day. Okay, so watch for this as we read. Then comes the end, or this this is the goal, this right ordering of all things. When he, that is the son, delivers the kingdom, you know, to the father, to God the father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So it's talking about how Jesus returns to make all things right. Sometimes when I get up here and speak, I will tip over a box of toys and talk about how sometimes our house is a mess, but when we assert our rule, we clean up the mess. It's not that we were not in charge when the house was messy. It's that we assert our rule by cleaning up the mess, and this is what will happen. When Jesus returns and asserts his rule over all things and makes all things right. For he, that's Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Everything that is opposed to Jesus will submit to Jesus. This is what Philippians 2 talks about when it says that before him every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The last enemy to destroy is death. And we read about that at the end of Revelation when death will be no more. For God has put all things, this is why we have all things up on the board. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. God put Jesus in charge of everything. And so Jesus is asserting that rule by cleaning up the mess and making all things new. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. In other words, it's, Paul is just saying in a sophisticated way, Jesus is not going to be the boss of the Father. The proper order will still be the proper order. The Father gives direction to the Son, and the Son rules over all things. All things are in submission to Jesus. Jesus is in submission to the Father. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That God may be all in all. In other words, the day is coming when God 
will make all things new, when all things will be right, when all things will be properly ordered, when we're not frustrated and sad and mourning anymore. Okay, so if this right belief in resurrection hope is like fuel, then what does it fuel us to do? So here's the Apostle Paul talking about that. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? Okay, I'm just going to read that really fast and keep going so none of you think about it very long and ask me any hard questions that I don't know. Or actually, you might be thinking, well, that's why you want to do the video sermon this week so we wouldn't have to be in church so we could ask him about this. No, that's not true, but um, I just thought of that, and that's a good idea. <laughs> Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? What on earth can that mean? The short answer is, I don't know. But here's what I do know. I do know that Paul is not commending that practice, like encouraging them to baptize people for the dead. He's also not commanding that people be baptized for the dead. This is the only place in the Bible we see this practice. I know that what he's doing, at least, is saying, look, some of you are baptizing each other for people that are have dead because you're doing this in resurrection hope. And he's, saying, he's pointing out the inconsistency saying, but you say you don't believe in resurrection hope. You must believe in resurrection hope. Look at what you're doing. I don't think he's saying that what they're doing is correct, but he's saying, look at what, look at what you're doing. I also would want to point out um, that just because the Corinthian church was doing it doesn't make it right. The Corinthian church did some crazy stuff, and the Apostle Paul can't address everything they're doing in this letter. He may have addressed this in a different letter. So, so the bottom line is, I know he's marshalling this to fuel their resurrection hope, but I can't tell you exactly what being baptized for the dead means. But I do know what this means. So why are we in danger every hour? The Apostle Paul is being persecuted. He says, why are we in danger every hour? You know, if, if we're not motivated with resurrection hope, what are we doing? He says, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What gain, or what do I gain, if humanly speaking, I fought with the beasts at Ephesus? He's saying, I am motivated by the resurrection, and if and if the resurrection isn't true, why am I trying so hard to win people to the Lord when there is just nothing but adversity? So if you, if you have your Bibles with you and you want to turn your page to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm sorry, chapter 16, the next chapter, verse 8, you remember he is still in Ephesus when he's writing this letter. So he talks about fighting the wild beasts, and I think he's talking about people. Other people think he was actually in the Colosseum fighting wild beasts. I don't, I don't think that has to be true. I think he's talking about people that were really, really hostile to him. He says, but I, 
but I will stay in Ephesus. So he's, he's resolved to stay in Ephesus where there's wild beasts attacking him until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. And the Apostle Paul is like, what am I doing facing adversaries if there's no resurrection? But he's motivated by the resurrection the same way he wants the Corinthians to be fueled by the resurrection because he believes that there is eternal gain. So he'll be telling them that they should stand fast in the Lord. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He's saying there is gain in resurrection-focused living. There is gain. Your labor is not in vain. So resurrection hope fuels courage. It fuels courage for living. And it fuels courage because we know that we are in Christ and we know that this is not the end. And we know that this is not the end for us, so there is gain in laboring for the Lord, so that there is gain in working for the Lord, but also because we know that this is not the end for them, for the people that we'd be witnessing to. We know that this is not the end for them. We want for them resurrection to the new heavens and the new earth. We don't want for them hell. Heaven and hell are at stake. If you believe in the resurrection, if you believe in the resurrection, it has to fuel Christian courage. And this, look, we may need Christian courage more and more in the days to come. It may be that people hate our message more and more in the days to come. You may need resurrection hope more and more in the days to come to stay on mission. Resurrection hope fuels mission because it says this is not the end. Christ is the first fruits of the new creation. This is not the end. There is more to come. There is gain in abounding in the work of the Lord. There is, there is something to be had. There is great gain in laboring for the Lord because we know that our labor is not in vain. Resurrection hope fuels courage. It also, it also really, well, you'll see. If the dead are not raised, so he's like, you want to talk about the dead not being raised? You want to lose all motivation? Well, here's where that leads. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Might as well live for today because if there's no resurrection, there's nothing coming next. Do not be deceived, he says. Bad company ruins good morals. You're around people who are only living for today. You'll become one of them eventually. But wake up. This is his solution. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning. 
Why were they sinning? Well, they're sinning in part because they had bad theology, because they did not have resurrection hope fueling them to righteous living. So if Paul was here and Paul was preaching instead of me, if Paul was sitting across the table from us, I wonder what he would tell us to wake up from. It might be a drunken stupor. I mean, you've seen the stats probably of how alcohol consumption has gone up during COVID as people lose motivation. But I have to think, you know, another danger, at least, is all the time that COVID has forced us to spend on screens, especially our young people. We've... for. I don't want to get into social commentary. I'm just going to say what's happened. What's happened is we've sent them home from school and told them to be on screens all day long. And, and you develop habits on screens. So, so when you think about the screen you spend the most time with, it's probably your phone. Probably you spend the most time with this screen. And I would bet when you turn that when you turn your phone on, your fingers automatically go to one app or another. They just you don't even have to think about it. You just automatically open an app. And and I would just ask you to wake up and ask yourself, is that distracting you from mission or is that helping you beyond mission? You know, another, another screen we spend a lot of time with is our computers. We spend a lot of time on our computers, whether we're young or we're old. I mean, unless you have a job that's away from your computer, we, spend, we can spend a lot of time on our computers. When you open up your computer, your fingers probably just, you're in the habit of going to this website or that website. Is that helping you stay on mission or is that disqualifying you from mission? I'm saying wake up, use resurrection hope, resurrection fuel, wake up and think about what you're thinking about. How, what are, your, how are your screens directing your thinking? You probably watch, you probably spend some time with your TV. The shows that you tend to watch, you probably have shows that you watch. You probably have habits in regards to when you turn on your TV, what shows you flip to, um, what shows you stream. Is that helping you stay on mission? Or is that discouraging you from mission? Helping you grow discontent with mission? The Apostle Paul, you know, he, says, he says just a little bit earlier, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. The, he's saying this, the people you spend a lot of time with, they shape how you are. But look, for us, especially during COVID, we've spent a lot of time, a lot of time with our screens. And are these screens, are they corrupting? Are they ruining our good morals? Or are they keeping us on mission. I just ask you to wake up and think about what you're thinking about. Wake up and think about what your screens, how your screens are directing your thinking.
what those apps, how they direct your thinking, what the websites, how they direct your thinking, how the TV shows direct your thinking. Paul finishes like this, For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. What's he talking about here? He's talking about how some people, of course, don't believe in the resurrection. And he says the people, what he's saying in the context of the whole chapter is, the people that don't believe in the resurrection have no knowledge of God. Because how could the God of the Bible, the judge of all the earth, how could he not make justice flow down like waters and righteousness flow like a never-ending stream? I mean, of course he will. He's the judge of all the earth, so to deny the resurrection is to deny knowledge of God. So the resurrection actually makes us want to get to know this God, who is the judge of all the earth, who will do what is right. It, it fuels our knowledge of God. It fuels our knowledge of God when we think about how the Creator will reclaim all of creation. It it and really make all things right and make all things new. It makes us want to get to know that God. It, re, it refuels our motivation to live the righteous life and to know God. When you think about how God the Father will not leave his children's bodies in the grave forever, but will resurrect them one day. We're, we're fueled when we think about God as the righteous judge, God as creator God as a righteous father, God who came himself in the person of Jesus and died and rose again from the grave and conquering sin and death, it, it fuels our knowledge of God and makes us want to get to know him better. And it, So if you're looking for passages about this, you might start with Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, or of course, 1 Corinthians 15, which is all about the resurrection or Revelation 21 and 22. So let me ask, as we, as we think about what we should do, let me ask, how is your courage level when it comes to facing opposition, or when it comes to facing persecution, or when it comes to sharing your faith? What's your courage level like? You may need to take a strong dose of resurrection hope to refuel your courage for witness. As you think about how people may not like our message, but they need to hear our message, you may need a strong dose of resurrection hope. Have you started on those three spiritual conversations yet? Take that strong dose of resurrection hope and let it fuel courage. As you think about waking up to what you're thinking about, as you think about your time that you spend on screens, or you think about waking up to what am I looking at? How is it directing my thinking? What am I reading about all day? How is that keeping me on mission or distracting me from mission? You may need to take a strong dose of resurrection hope and think about 
Is this keeping me on mission or distracting me from mission? And if your desire to know God is waning, it may be that resurrection hope is just the thing to fuel your desire to know God better, the God who will make all things new. We all, we all have a propensity, I think, to just live for the moment. When we read, let's eat and drink, and for tomorrow we die, there's something in that statement. Let's just live for today. You know, let's just be happy right now because this is all we have. There's something in that that rings true to us, that is appealing to us. But as we mature, we realize that is really short-sighted. There's also part of us that might want to live for tomorrow and like live for retirement and spend all of our time saving for retirement, preparing for retirement, getting ready to retire, dreaming about retirement, thinking about how, how much fun we'll have when we retire and how much wealth we'll have when we retire and how we'll still have our health when we retire. But let me ask you, how long... How long do you think you'll be retired for? 30 years? 40 years? I mean, if everything goes perfect? I just invite you to believe, invite you to consider that that, that too is short-term. That too is short-sighted in terms of eternity. Resurrection hope, as we think about resurrection hope and we think about all of eternity all of eternity it helps us max out today for our eternal mission I hope I hope you'll leverage your life in resurrection hope your heavenly father Lord, I pray that you would pull us closer to yourself today in resurrection hope. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.